We often sing a song here at Mission called All I Have is Christ. And uh, it is one of my favorite songs. It's probably why it's on quick repeat quite often uh, here. Uh, it's like, I only know three chords. It's the Trinity anyway, G, C, and D. And just so you know, if you know nothing about music, if you can play those three chords, then you can physically play any song that has ever been written it, especially if you learn an E minor, you can throw in a minor, one minor, and literally any song on the planet, you can play it. And I'm really good at those three <laughs> chords. When I try to jazz it up, I'll throw in an E minor or a B7, all right? Um, but we sing a song here called All I Have is Christ. And I'm going to preach on singing actually coming up here in about two weeks. I think a lot of times our lives have become such a cycle is that we don't think about the words that we are singing. I think that's evident, one, in some circles that I can't believe that we're actually singing that song, but two, is that it becomes so repetitive in our kind of mundane understanding and just kind of, this is what we do, stand up here, sit down here, sing these songs, they become such a part of our lives that we do not think about the words, so we might as well be singing gangster rap, which is a personal favorite of mine, if we're not thinking about the words. If we're not thinking about Jesus when we're singing, we might as well be singing Kanye. Pre-crazy Taylor Swift days Kanye, when he was good. Might as well be doing it, folks. And yet one of the songs that we sing is All I Have is Christ, and in that, the very first verse of this song starts out like this. I once was lost in darkest night. Anybody ever had a dark day? Anybody remember your days of sin? Yet I thought I knew the way. You ever been that guy? You ever been that gal? Man, I'm fine. Nothing is wrong with the way that I'm heading. This is so good, or it feels so good, or it seems so right, or it's so culturally appropriate that, man, this, this must be right, that this, this is, I know the way. I got this. The sin that promises joy and life has led me to the grave. Anyone ever woke up in a ditch? You know, I have some friends that have physically woken up in ditches. Physical ones. But many of us, if you ever come to your understanding of the depths of darkness of your sin, you know that all of those beliefs that you thought you knew your way did not lead you safely home. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Often throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we see this kind of dichotomy, this paradigm of light and darkness. Pastor Todd kind of 
threw up the ball last week. Hopefully and faithfully I will be able to hit it out of the park this week as we're talking about what it means to shine in Christ working through the book of Ephesians. We see here in chapter 5 is where we're at today that was read by Brian that at the very beginning of that that it says, therefore be imitators of God. Imitators. Mimes. Mimics. That annoying thing that kids like to do when they just repeat whatever you're doing. And you're like, stop it. And they go, stop it. And finally, you have to threaten a, sorry, time out nowadays if you don't stop doing that. And yet we are told by, by God himself, by the in, inspiration of the Spirit, that we are to imitate God. And if we do imitate man, only imitate that man in such a way or as such he or she is imitating God. And so Paul in this passage, as he has said there in chapter 5, verse 4, therefore it be imitators of God. And as Pastor Justin talked about that we are to love like who? Like God loves then we go into this idea and the character and nature of God, that God is one of, of purity. He is, he is, he is, he is not um, covet. He does not covet things. He is not a consumer, but he is a conceiver. That we, we see that everything from the way that we use our bodies sexually to the way that we use our funds, our monies, to the way that we physically speak from our lips should be an imitation, should carry with it the aroma of God Him. Himself. And we see that. We see this picture of why should we do this? Because God is God and that God is the God. He is a being of light. The, Bi the Bible even tells us or alludes in the book of Revelation that once we get to glory, brothers and sisters, and I pray that Jesus comes back today, that there will be no need for the noonday sun because of the glory of God is the beaming ray of light that will cast power and light and glory and holiness on God's people. We see this in the New Testament as in John, the very first chapter, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is speaking of Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That Jesus is the light of of the world. And so in this passage, as it was read to us, we're seeing this contrasting between this, this deep darkness, this blackness that none of us have ever even imagined before, being contrasted against the greatness of God's glory, that he is physically light, that he is the light of the world, that Jesus is the light. And so for us to be like God, for us to be like Jesus, then we must not be in darkness, but we must be the light. He tells us here in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes 
upon the sons of disobedience. As I mentioned, Pastor Todd last week kind of threw up, and it wasn't this all-encompassing list that Paul makes here. There are other things here. But definitely he dives into three sins that have often found themselves even into the church. The sins of how we use our mouths, speech, gossiping, curse words, if you will. Humorous jokes that are inappropriate. We, we, we see the, the, these kind of ideas of sexual immorality and all the things that that intakes. We see the, that with, even within the church that there is this, this craving for consumerism. That we don't live joyful, regular, sacrificial lives in regards to all of our money. All of your money is God's money. And, and, and Paul warns us, the Spirit warns us that to, to not use your money like Jesus uses it. To not engage in relationships the way that God wants you to. To not use your mouth is contrary to God's very character and that is who you're to imitate. And so he goes here and he says that, that we as Christians let no one deceive you with empty words. What does he mean by this? Why does Paul pick up right there and say, man, let no one deceive you? See, Paul states a warning. Did you know that if you really love somebody, you're going to warn them? And they may think that that's the most unloving thing possible. And yet God so loves us that he warns us. And God warns the people of God here. But why? Because he, he loves it. See, it is a common deception within the church history that, that there's this notion that professing Christians can lead unrepentant, sinful lives after conversion to Christ and not suffer consequences for those actions. However, what does the Bible tell us here in this verse? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons, the daughters of disobedience. How scary is it that we can be involved in, that we can, as, as the churches and, you know, church pastors and, we love cliches, right? That we can profess something, that we can profess Jesus and yet not possess Jesus. That we can have this, this weird thing, and the thing is, is that it becomes very commonplace within the church that, that, that we can live these such a lives, that, that we can have this unrepentant, sinful, just habitually sinning over and over and over, that your life is not marked by the person and work of Jesus, but that your life can be marked by the sins of this world, and yet... I got Jesus, all is good. And yet that's not what the Bible says. It says that if there's this disconnect here, then the reality is, is that you really weren't saved to begin with. And that the full brunt of God's wrath, which is freely paid upon Christ, is going to be placed upon you. It's going to be placed upon me. We keep this mentality, this idea, as the prophet Isaiah says in the Old Testament. Chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil. 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness. As we mentioned a few months ago, that, that for some reason that within Christianity and that, that Paul is again giving these warnings to this church in Ephesus and these warnings are here for us today, that this mentality that you can have, uh, have Christ as your Savior and Lord and obedience be optional is no gospel at all. That is not an option but it is the desire of those of us who are in Christ. Verse 7, Therefore do not be partners with them. This is talking about people who are not Christians, disobedient people, the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He tells us here, Paul is not saying that you should not be friends with non-Christians. Okay, it's not what Paul is getting at because how many times are we told throughout the scripture that we're to go preach the gospel to lost people? But Paul is warning that there is this, there is a, a place though where that relationship must end. That there are some things that if you truly are inside of Christ Jesus, if Jesus has truly saved you, if your identity has been changed in Jesus, that he is everything, that Jesus, that Christ is enough for you, that he has pursued you, that he has changed your life, that, that there is just simply some things, though we can be friends with non-Christians and we should be, that there are some things, there are some activities, there are some practices that your friends that don't serve Jesus Jesus are going to participate in and that you and I must refrain from. We say no because there is a greater relationship and that relationship is with God. So in this relationship, we're not to become partners with them. We cannot partner with them in their sin. For several years, I did college ministry here in Bowling Green up on the campus of Western Kentucky University. I'll never forget the day that this dude, he's like seven foot tall. He came into my office as a college student, been discipling him for quite some time, came to every Bible study I led. He came to the activities that I was in, part, uh, in charge of, all these sorts of things. And he, he sat down in my office after years of discipling and, and as a single man sat there and said, hey, Eric, I want to talk to you about relationships, relationships with a boy and a, a girl. I, I'm really wanting, I'm pursuing this girl. And of course, I was like, man, who, who is this, right? Is she in our ministry? Because, you know, that's a great place to find people. Is, uh, is that church, right? I mean, so who is this girl? Is she solid? Does she love Jesus? All these sorts of things. And I'll never forget, I know that he thought, man, look at that dude's face. When he looked at me and said, actually, man, she's a stripper. In Bowling Green. Not that strippers outside of Bowling Green are great things. But she looks at me and says, he looks at me and says, no, man, I, I'm, this girl's not a Christian. She's a stripper. And, man, we've started this relationship. And I'm really pursuing her. Why? Because, man, I want her to know Jesus. I want this girl to get Jesus. I may never, I may be the only Jesus this girl ever hears or sees. She needs me in her life. Man, she's going to hell. So I'm going to be in a relationship with this girl. So how do I do that? Run! That's how you do that. What's interesting about this is now this man is a grown man. And to all of my knowledge is not walking with the Lord. 
And we have to ask ourselves why. Because there's these partnerings, these relationships, there's these things that can often happen. I was talking to some of the program living guys, they were hanging out with me at my house a, a few weeks ago, and I was talking to one of them, and I was just saying, hey man, it's like, give me an update, how you doing? Program Living are, are these guys that work at Hope House and um, several of our guys here that attend mission work there. Many of them have come from, you know, selling meth to doing meth to marijuana to alcoholics, all these sorts of things. And I was talking to one of them who has kind of been, he's had some rough moments. And I just said, man, give me an update. I know a few months ago you had a rough, rough time. He said, man, I have had just this enlightenment moment. He said, man, I was really wondering if any of this was working. I was really wondering about this Jesus thing. I was wondering about this program living thing. I just didn't know, man, if, if this is for me. And I'm, I'm, I've, I mean, he even tried to, I think he was one of those guys that kind of left and then snuck back into the program somehow. But he's, he's wrestling, he's struggling. He's like, man, this is just not for me. He's like, but what the eye-opening thing for me that happened was, was on one of my weekend leaves, I went home. And when I was at home, I was hanging out with all of my other friends. Because I'm going to be honest, I haven't really seen that much change inside of my life since I've been here. And he says, as we were hanging out, all of a sudden my friends got to joning on me. That's slang for joking on me. They started think, saying things like, look at him. Look at him. He doesn't do the things that he used to do. He's at a party, I guess. He's at a house. He's somewhere. And he's not doing the things. And he said, immediately, when my old friends began to make fun of me because of the way that I'm living my life now, he said, an epiphany, an enlightenment. He probably didn't use those words. Um, my something went off in my mind, all right? <laughs> That's probably more like it for you guys at work at Hope House. Man, it was my boom, squirrel. I mean, I mean <laughs> that's probably what I'm, I'm churching it up, <laughs> all right? So, I mean, he was like, so I just went back to Hope House. I was like, it is working. <laughs> right? I mean, he was seeing what he could not see. Those around him, guess what they were seeing? They were seeing the change. See, if you're walking close with Jesus, if you are being the light of the world, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it, it is not hiding under a bush. Oh, no. Won't let Satan blow it out if you grew up in church. All right? It's, it's not this, this picture. It, it's not something that is hidden behind a veil. But I want you to know the light of the world is going, the, the light of Jesus is going to permeate from you. It may not be seen from you yourself looking in the mirror, but when others around you are beginning to see God chisel away all of the darkness, breaking forth through marvelous light, the, the goodness and the greatness of God. Man, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and this is what it means to be the light of the world. Do not partner with these folks. There's a place. Our language should be marked by Jesus. Our practices should be marked by Jesus. The way we consume, the way we spend our money, our possessions, all these things should be marked by Jesus. And that there is simply this thing. I mean, if anybody has come from a, a, a group of people who you used to sin with, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Hey, man, I love you. I care for you, but I can't do X, Y, Z. If you're needing that from me, 
man, I'll go to lunch with you at Chick-fil-A. They don't serve beer. If that's a problem for you. But I've got to stay away from those things. The Bible is going to tell us, and this is, you know, youth pastor's favorite verse in talking about sexual immorality to teenagers. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, that's this idea of unequally yoked, if you know what a yoke is, you put on oxen, they, they till the ground, and, and typically what people would try to do, cattle, farmer, all these sorts of people, is that you want to have two oxen that are of equal strength, because if you put an elephant with a mouse, you know what's going to happen? They're going to go wherever that elephant wants to go. Now, this idea of unequally yoked is not merely in boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, and wife, because if you know people where one is a believer and one is not a believer, there is nothing but hellish conflict taking place inside of that home. The same thing is said in business contracts. You've got to be careful about going into business with people who don't have the same Christ-like likeness in their lives because they could be uh, pressuring you to do things that do not reflect the person and work of Jesus. So single, if you're here today, please do not come and ask me if you can date a non-Christian. No. Ask me something tough. Right? Ask me something really hard. But also a, a lot of us that if you're in a relationship or if you're a businessman, a businesswoman, you have to be extremely careful about these things. Because people will convince you with money at the end of the day to lie for them. And that's jacked up. It's wrong. It's dark. It's a dark, dark place. See, the whole idea of the yin and yang thing, you know, the, is it Chinese, I believe, that you've got one half of the circle that's black and it's got a white dot in it. The other half of the circle is, is white and it's got a black. You know what that is? It's a lie. It's a lie. No, good has overcome the evil. If you're in Jesus, let's church this up a little bit. Jesus has washed all the black is, and it's as gone as white as snow. This is the work of Jesus as he comes in. Where the light is, there can be no darkness. We see in verse 8, for you were one time, you were darkness. It's not that we just reflected darkness, but that we were darkness. But look at what he says here. But now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Again, what is Paul coming back to? He's coming back to this idea of identity. Would anybody be willing, I mean, we're going to go charismatic just for a moment, okay? This is called a hand raise, all right? Anybody over the last six months that we've been, excuse me, eight months, Franklin math, sorry, eight months of going through the book of Ephesians has had any kind of identity crisis, that you have wrestled through something. I mean, you've gone through the motions several, several weeks have been fine, and then something has hit you in the grill, has punched you in the gut in regard to this. Maybe it has led to weeping. Maybe it has led to just cringing. I mean, I, I, I fully confess that I, I have been there even this week, even as early as, as 2 o'clock in the morning as I'm weeping at my kitchen table over this very passage. And I want you to know that that is good. 
That is God's grace and his mercy in his life as he is revealing to you the darkness that is there, that your messed up identity, that if your identity is wrapped up in anything that is of this world, that is, it is not God's will, it is not God's plan, but that he is, he is removing all of that and he's shaking you, he's bringing you back to where you are supposed to be and that your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. It's not in your ability to be funny, it's not in your ability to make money, it's not in your ability to spend money, it's not in your ability, of all the giftedness that is inside of this room, none of your identities are found in those things. No, your identity is found in being a child of the light, a child of the king. May God destroy more of us as we go through his word. May there be more days of reckoning in our hearts. Paul reminds us of our new identity. We were once like the world we were in darkness. Even more descriptive, what were we? We were darkness itself. That's how wretched and evil that we were. And so it makes no sense, brothers and sisters, for those of us who claiming follow, being followers of Jesus, and yet our lives are marked more by darkness instead of life. You know what you call that? You call that unbelief. You call that lostness. And if somebody is coming to you in love and they're warning to you and they're not saying, they're not here to be, you know, judge, jury, all that sort of thing. But if they're coming to you and they're saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm seeing something. There's some questioning here in your life that are, is, it is causing me great anguish as I'm looking at your life that I am not seeing Jesus. If somebody comes to you in love in that, you, you need to turn your ear to it. How many of you guys know who Francis Chan is? Francis Chan written a bunch of books, Crazy Love, Unforgotten, or Forgotten God. He wrote one on hell. He's got a marriage book out called, I think, Me and You or something. Francis Chan out in South, uh, Southern California. Now he's like in San Francisco. I, I was listening to him speak at this conference thing one night when we lived in Arizona, and his daughter was there leading worship as part of it with Wren Collective. Those are the guys that like, they're a Mumford band <laughs> without being Mumford band. Uh, so they're beating on stuff. So it's like every church after Wren Collective came out had pots and pans on stage because that's cool now, all right? And at this thing, he said, you know, I'll, never, I'll not forget, I'm so overwhelmed as a dad because a few years ago, I went to my teenage daughter who has grown up in the church and it was very tough for me to say, but I looked at my daughter, I sat her down, and I said to her, I'm not seeing the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And I'm deeply concerned by that. That man loves his daughter. She openly confessed to her dad after probably first being defensive that her dad was right and she had to have a come to Jesus moment in that moment and, and I told you the end of the story already right where was she that night leading worship and I never wanted to be questioned of me 
If you be around me, you will see that I am a wretched man, that I, I struggle with sin, and that I have some deep hurt, some deep woundedness, that I am prone toward certain sins. And, and yet I pray even before you in this very moment that I would be reminded, that you would be reminded that it is not about how far we can get to the dark line, but it's how far can we run from the darkness. That we are children of light, that there's this fruit of the light. Look at verses 9 through 10. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So if you go back to what Pastor Todd t- talked about last week, this idea of what is, what is good, that is, has this idea of being what is, what is generous. It's like these things actually immediately contradict what was preached on last week. That the fruits of darkness, if you will, is how you use your mouth, how you use your body, how you use your money. And yet the fruit of the Spirit is good and right and is true. We see that there is this way to live that is only found in Jesus. I love this quote from John MacArthur. Because they are not carrying weapons, hand grenades, explosive, or other illegal items, most people have no fear of sending their luggage through an x-ray machine in an airport. In the same way, as Christians, we should not be afraid to be scrutinized either under the light of God's word or under the critical eye of the world that is constantly looking for inconsistencies between our profession and our lifestyle. We should have nothing to hide. You ever been in an office situation where such and such is little Betty Christian? Like she talks about Jesus, he talks about Jesus, and then out of their very next tongue is profanities, or they're always gossiping in somebody's office, right? Or, or better yet, you'll see a, uh, you know, an actor or an actress, and they're in all of these crazy movies that we can't watch, or they're in these, writing these songs that we shouldn't be listening to. And then they step up to receive an award. And the first thing that comes out of their mouths is what? I just want to thank Jesus. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be here without him. Right? And we all step back and we go, wasn't they just in that movie where they did that? Don't they sing about this, that, and the other? Right? Anybody been that, that judgy? Right? Double hands. See, we went full charismatic holiness. Snakes at any moment. Right? Yeah, I mean, we've done that. You know the reason why we do that is because they're on a stage, but we have a hard time doing that if it's in our own home, sitting on the couch, looking at our own lives. This mentality that I'm professing Jesus, that I'm a a child of the light, and yet our our lives are marked more by the things of this world instead of being marked by the person and work of Jesus. That we should have, I should have no issue with you, my brother, you, my sister, coming to me and us. uh, We have nothing to hide. And I'm not saying that if you look into my life that you're not going to see sin, because you will. It's how I'm responding to that sin. It's what I'm fighting for. Is that what I'm pursuing is the person and work of Jesus more than I'm pursuing the things of this world. Has anything produced by the darkness in your life ever accomplished what you hope to gain? 
And I would argue that it hasn't. In verses 11 and 13, what does the Bible tell us here in these passages? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. It becomes visible. Now, I grew up in a different age and time, and I know that some of you grew up in an even different age and time than I did. But as a kid, one of my favorite games to play when we lived out in the country specifically, and it even increased whenever we moved into a, a subdivision, was the game Spotlight. And I'm telling you, we would go all out for Spotlight, okay? We wore camo, tra- black trash bags if your daddy didn't have camo, Right? And we always had these, these, remember the big silver light that took like a 12-volt car battery, it felt like? I mean, just big old batteries that your grandpa had, or those blue ones and the yellow one or the red one, right? That your parents were like, I'm not giving you my Mac light, but you can have this one. I mean, you go out there, and, and you're playing Spotlight with all of the neighborhood kids. And if you never played Spotlight, so if you're like under 40 in here, you probably never have. So it's this game outside. There's this whole world outside these doors. It's crazy. <laughs> Kids play games, well, they used to, right? Now you play Spotlight on an iPad. It's weird, okay? So you go outside, and it's like hide and seek, but it's all pitch black. I mean, you're act, like, acting like trees. You're hiding behind stuff. And the thing is, you're running around, and you've got one person that's it, and they get to put the spotlight on you, and they say, Spotlight on Jonathan. But if they go, Spotlight on Chris, but they're pointing at Jonathan, ha, you got it wrong. So, I mean, you're trying to come up with wigs and disguises. I mean, you, you want them to call you by the wrong name. But the idea is you, you're, you're exposed. They've put the light is on you that you're, being, you're seeking out and you're trying to find. Well, the Bible says that as we are the light, that we are to expose that, that because we are the light of the world, not only that does it expose the sin in our own hearts, but when we step into situations, the sin is also exposed. That where there is light, where is the darkness? See, it, it doesn't exist in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, I want you to understand, even from that passage, that I hear from a lot of times is, is man, our, my motivation is, is, man, I don't ever want pe- these people out here to think less of me or to think less of Jesus. And, and granted, there is a place for that, but it is secondary. Because brothers and sisters, all of these people can think that you're awesome, but Jesus is exposing the inner workings and the inner corridors of your very heart. There is no such thing as secret sin. It doesn't exist. God knows it. He sees it. And he's bringing that dysfunction. He's bringing that sin to the service. He's he's x-raying your heart. He's x-raying your life. He knows everything about you. And you're being exposed. And that that is a great and glorious thing. But I want you to get this. Please hear me with, with great compassion for all of us. It is difficult when our darkness is exposed. It's really tough. 
like chemotherapy, like chemotherapy is to cancer. To go through this process, it, it may get worse. Some things in your life may get worse before they get better. And the fear of that is driving some of us not to confess our sin. And I, I'm going to straight up tell you, it's tough. When you get caught in your sin, it's tough. It is, it is heartache. There is, there is difficulty there. There is going to be pain. There is probably going to be crying there. There is going to be all sorts of things. But I want you to know that however the difficulty of today is, it will all be eclipsed by God's very glory in eternity. And so on your, if it's, if it's possible for you to have the worst day, the worst month, the worst life on this planet, and some of us in here know what that feels like, I mean, you're hating life. And yet, brothers and sisters, for those of us in Christ, whether it's a day, a month, a week, a year, a lifespan that you have just really struggled and really wrestled, I want you to know that it is worth all of those terrible, terrible days to step foot into glory and all of those be erased because those terrible days in sin will not compare to an all eternity experiencing the wrath of God. And so if God has to bring to me really difficult and tough things in order to expose the sin in my heart so that one day I will stand before him taking off my crown and my robe and laying it at his feet and crying out worthy is the lamb who is slain then bring on the bad days bring them on because this is serious I mean, what does Paul say here? He says, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit tells us here in verse 6 to go back up there. Do not be deceived with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Your sin, my sin, is very serious to God. It is extremely serious. It is eternal significance. And yet, we are to live, not in these shameful acts Brothers and sisters, many of you here today may have what is called the secret sin. And I'm begging you, if you're married, you need to tell them. And today, I'm going to tell you, if you tell them, it's going to be a bad day. And you know what tomorrow's going to be? A bad day. But it is better for you to be known and laid bare before your husband and wife, or if you're single, a best friend, a godly man, a godly woman, it is better for you to lay bare before God and go through those rough days than to go through eternity with the wrath of God being poured out upon you. I beg you, I plead with you, I don't care how dirty you think it is, how disgusting that you think it is, whatever it is, quit playing the games, quit lying, quit putting makeup on the corpse. Because where there is the smell of death, there is death. And the Bible is telling us here that there is much more to life than all of these sorts of things. All of these things that are taking place. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of, of 1 John very quickly. 
1 John. We're going to get to 1 John probably next year. John, what's interesting about 1 John, if you don't know this, this is John who also wrote the Gospel of John. But by the time that John also writes the book of Revelation, but do you know where he's at when he writes 1 John? He's the pastor of Ephesus. And listen to what he says years later after Paul has written them. Verse 5. Look at this, everybody. If you've got a Bible, an iPad, I want you to see this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, the son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, I cannot be any clearer than this. If you are pretending to be a Christian, if you are a fake Christian, if, if you are walking in the ways of this world, you are not a Christian. You're not his son. You're not his daughter. If these are the marks of your life, there should be no question that you and I are in Jesus, that it's again permeating from us and our decisions. And so in all of these things we, we see, what does it say? That if you are in Christ, if we walk in the light, then he is in the light. And I, all of you want to go to a DC Talk song right there. We have fellowship with one another. Who's the one another? The first thing one another is this, is the one another is that you have a relationship with God. But also he's saying for those who walk in the light, also have relationship with each other. But anytime there is one who is walking in the light and another one that is walking in darkness, guess what? There are two broken down relationships. First and foremost, your relationship with God is broken. Secondarily, your relationship with others is broken. Be exposed. Be willing to be exposed this morning. We love to church up our sin. We love to make light of it. We love to, to say that, man, it's, it's, it's just a struggle. I'm just struggling in it. I just made a mistake. If we use crude language, it's, it's a joke. It's just a joke. It was funny. We love to call greed and we love to paint on it the mask, call it the American dream. Shadow sins. Are they? White lies. You know what a white lie is? It's a lie. We love to justify this behavior. But look how serious God looks at this. 
He says it's punishable by death. And so the last thing, if you go back to the book of Ephesians, what does Paul tell us in verse 14? This is the evangelistic call here. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And this is the ending call here this morning. What I pray for as we go into a time of response, that this is a wake-up call. Look at what the passage he's saying. Man, awake, we are prone to doze off. And not only prone to doze off, but some of us are fully asleep. That means we're lost, that we're in darkness, that we're, 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 we're being marked by sin, that we're living. This idea, again, of walking is this idea of what is your conduct? How are you living your life? And Paul is telling us over and over, walk like this, 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 walk like this. Don't walk like this. Let your conduct be like an imitator of Christ Jesus, not an imitator of this world. And so he's pleading with us. He's saying, brothers and sisters, like, like we, we don't need to be angry. Yes, we, we, we need our speech cleaned up. We, know, we don't need to be sexually immoral. We need to be generous. We need to reject consumerism. And we can do all of those things and miss Jesus. At the heart of the gospel is not behavior modification, but is a deep relationship, a deep affection, a deep understanding of the gospel that is so captivating that the pursuits of the world go strangely, strangely dim. That they lose their flavor. They lose it. The perfection that God demands, He receives in Jesus. But he demands progress in you and I. As we've continued to say throughout this series, the Holy Spirit does not lay dormant in the Christian's life. But it would echo as Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Brothers and sisters, I remind you of this, that the light of the world, his name is Jesus, that the light of the world became our darkness. And in Jesus becoming our darkness, we become the children of light. And so that leads us to these things. If we're the light of the world, brothers and sisters, you need to confess and repent of your sin. There is a difference between confession and repentance. True repentance always carries with it confession. But confession will not always carry with it repentance. And the Bible calls us to both of those things. It is not merely to just admit, I, yep, I messed up. Yep, I'm struggling. Yep, I'm a sinner. No, the Bible says and states that we are to repent, that there is this halting, that there is this stopping of this life, that you are heading away from God, that you're to stop that, and you're to march in the opposite direction, that you're to face Jesus, that you're to look at Jesus and and guess what? It's costly to do that. That's why many people, they don't do it. See, we, we've, we've, we're, we're becoming more and more accustomed to telling people our wrongs. And then patting each other on the back and saying it's okay. Which 
is ending on the first step. Because the second step is, is the costly one. And, and that is to reshape our life. Some way, as the word J.I. Packer would say, we have created a Christianity that has removed all radical from it. That we've removed what separate, we've removed the radical mentality of what it means to be a Christian. It is costly. And yet we can't remove the radicalness of it. Jesus says, take up your cross to follow after him, to die to self daily, to walk, to pursue, to run, to fight, all these things. Why? Not so that you can get God. But out of God being in you, these things are going to happen. Look at me. If these things are not happening in your life today, may God call us to repentance. That revival begins within the people of God. Not outside, but right here. When the people of God truly begin to repent and live radically, they not only confess their sins, but they're willing to do whatever it takes to bring pleasing, as the Bible just says to your discern what is pleasing to the Lord, that this is their desire. And so revival begins to stir within the church itself as, as people who think they are Christians but aren't really become Christians, but also that sleepy Christians are awakened. And so as the gospel is calling you this morning, as one of your pastors, I'm pleading with us this morning, may this be a day of repentance in our church where we are not being obedient, where we are trying to to, to cover up these sins inside of our lives, but may God in his radiant glory expose every one of them and may we link arms to walk through the difficult days that are ahead because there are even greater glorious days for all of us who are willing to do the hard stuff for God's ultimate glory. May we repent May we pursue reconciliation with God. May we pursue reconciliation with others. Because there is hope. There is hope. And His name is Jesus because we were once lost. In the darkest of night, that thought I knew the way, the sin that had promised joy in life had led me to the grave. Had, I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity today.